welcome to Big Blend Radio's Food, Wine, and Travel Show, where we go across country and travel the world with members of the International Food, Wine, Travel Writers Association. Let's go. So welcome, everybody. Uh, super excited to have a travel writer discussion talking about must-visit destinations in 2024. I mean, we're going to go around the world, from Canada to northern Greece. Uh, I think we're going to go on some cruises with Virgin Voyages. Uh, we're going to go to Texas, Myrtle Beach. Um, you know, we're going to go wherever we want to go, right? So I'm going to introduce our first guest on the show, Gavin Booth. Him and his wife, Karen, are uh, the publishers of coupleinthekitchen.com. So welcome, Gavin. How are you? We're doing great. Thanks for having us. Hey, good to have you. We also have Marnie Patterson and uh, Marnie's website. You can go to it. It's mptravelwriting.com. Welcome, Marnie. How are you? Fine. Thanks for having me. You know, I love your name, Marnie, because you know, all the Marnies I know are from South Africa, where, where I grew up. And um, so I just as soon as I saw your name, I was like, she's South African, but you're not, are you? <laughs> No, I don't know. My mother grew up in Canada, and she says that she heard it in Canada. I've been to Canada a lot. I have yet to meet anybody up there named Marnie. But it's short for Marguerite, which was my paternal grandmother's name. So they figured okay. if they didn't shorten it, somebody else would. So that's what they ah. came up with. All right. So Canada, that, that ties into your one of your destinations, New Brunswick. So you got to go to the Bay of Fundy. I like to say I'm not saying it right, am I? No. Ah, Bay of Fundy. I, you're close. Fundy, fun. I like Fundy. That sounds fun. <laughs> but Fundy. So that was one of your destinations, right? Um, did you go yes. this year? Yes, in um, late July and August. Okay, cool. That's that is crazy. Those rock formations that are out there on the coastline. It's like it's kind of like the Southwest moved into the ocean. Yeah, that's a really good way to describe it. Also, they have um, something, there's one place called Hopewell Rocks, where um, <clears throat> it's like there are trees and plants that, uh, that, are, that grow on top of the rocks. They call them flower pot rocks, because when the tide is out, you look at them and it looks like these gigantic flower pots. So what's really cool about that entire area is you can walk along the beach in the morning or the afternoon, depending on where you are. And then a few hours later, you can, it's filled with water. So you're kayaking or sailing or I guess if you're really brave, you can swim in it, but it's pretty cold. So most hmm. people just sail or kayak. Ah, that's cool. Well, I want to go over to you, Gavin, <clears throat> because I know that you and Karen focus a lot on wine destinations, food, right? We're going to talk about that. But, you know, these kind of areas that have these natural geological, you know, formations, these just amazing regions, doesn't that kind of say wine all over it? Like wine should be oh, growing. Totally. <laughs> wine should be growing. Like vineyards should be growing. You know, whenever you see like fascinating geology, you know, wine's happening. Yes. And I'm all for drinking any of it. <laughs> so are we. <laughs> so Marnie, did New Brunswick have wine? Uh, yeah, they do. Actually, uh, somebody in Iftwa wrote a story about that. Corey Solomon. Yeah. Um I think she just wrote his Corey is absolutely passionate about wine mm -hmm. and I covered um breweries in Fredericton in fact my husband was with me he got to be my official taster <laughs> he had a really good time because I'm not that much of a beer drinker but uh, uh um she covered the wine though and there's a whole story about that and everyone Corey Solomon is the president of IFTWA and both you know Gavin and Marnie are members of the International Food Wine Travel Writers Association we call it IFTWA it's a lot easier to say 
Um, and so, yeah, you know, I love it that you're both members. We'll talk a little bit about that later too. Um, but Gavin, going to Texas, don't you think it is that kind of arid, you know, terrain that kind of makes this amazing wine? Because I think people do forget that Texas makes some exceptional wine. It's kind of new, but not really new. When I think back to some of the vineyards we know about, um, they do have a good place in, in the market. Yeah, it's definitely coming back on the map for sure. Or it's starting to make itself on the map. Yeah. Uh, what's special about Texas is that it, although it can't grow a lot of some varietals of wine, it actually grows certain varietals of wine, like some, specifically some Spanish wines, mm-hmm. better than they actually do in Spain um, to a point where there's some wineries that have won some major, major acclaim in the Fredericksburg region for their Spanish grape varietals and also a few French varietals that there's I can't I'm blanking on the specific grape name, but there's one specific grape that was essentially di- died off in Europe and it was brought back to life in Texas to a point where now it's being brought from Texas back to Europe. Mm. Um, so that with a combination of so many Californians moving from California to Texas, um, it definitely has a major, major push to enhance the Texas wine game. Because all those Californians are missing all their California wine regions, and they need somewhere closer to vacation to. Um, well, yeah, but you guys region. have a lot of Californians moving into your neighborhood. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and, yeah, the Texas wine region from Austin is like about an hour and 15-minute drive. And from Dallas-Fort Worth is like a three less than three-hour drive. So it's really accessible, the major part of it, um, within like two of the larger metros of Texas. Now, we're in Lubbock, Texas, as we record this, and I heard that they have wine out here that we haven't gone out and discovered yet. Have you tasted any wine out here? Yes, Lubbock wine is incredible. The the difference for so Lubbock is known actually more of like a wine growers region. Um, they aren't necessarily yet the destination for going to wineries. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a few wineries that you could definitely go to, and I highly recommend it. Um, we went to three, I believe, when we were there earlier this past year. Um, but actually Lubbock grapes are some of the main source for the wines that you're getting in Fredericksburg or other major regions within Texas. Mm. Um, so yeah, it's definitely more of a farming wine culture up in Lubbock. Um, but they're starting to slowly Mm. add on like tasting rooms and things like that, um, to expand the category in that area. I take it back. I have had wine here. A friend (laughs) uh, bought us wine when we got here last, it was early this spring, but it had it was like a honey wine. Oh, it was almost like a mead. Yeah, it was very sweet but light, and it was good. I mean, it was just like very fruity, but um, I, it was it was more on the honey side, and I think they were doing more mead, which is interesting to me. And I've, I've got to, I wish I had taken notes now, but it was good. And <laughs> we've had some good Texas wine. I mean, even up oh, yeah. in the east uh, eastern portion, uh, I think it was Tres Pinos. Um, I'm trying to remember. Um, they made a killer Tempranillo. Oh, anyway, let's, why are we all having wine right now? What's wrong? I know, right? No, yeah. done this later in the day. (laughs) Lubbock is key for wine growing because you get really, you could get hot days and then really cold nights, which is like kind of the key element for growing quality wine. So Marnie, do you drink wine too as you travel? Because if you're not, if you need a beer taster anytime, like call me, because it's a good thing we're doing it from like the shoulder up. I'm just saying on on the Zoom call, because you'll see I like beer. Okay, well, um, I I like wine. Um, I think I like that. Um, I'm more into wine, 
um, the, my husband is the official beer taster though. Yeah. Okay. This so is great. If you want to go, you'll have to share the, share the spotlight with him. <laughs> All right. We'll have a race, but um, <laughs> let, let's go back a little bit and kind of go into your start in travel writing. So Marnie, you've been writing, but more on the technical side, right? On computer stuff and things that I go like, yeah. ah, I can't, there's no way in hell that I'm ever writing what you've done in, in your, in your history. <laughs> Yeah, um, my whole career was in um, product marketing, which in the tech industry um, kind of translates to its marketing. But you're what you're doing is you're trying to um, write it from the standpoint. You're taking what all these engineers and IT people are coming up with and translating into something so the customer knows why they need it. So value proposition is the word you hear uh, kicked around all the time. So I did that most of my entire uh, most of my career. Um, ended up, um, my, you know, every, the problem when you work in tech is everybody keeps getting acquired. Gavin's probably smiling because you're right in the middle of Silicon, uh, uh, you know, the, um, Austin, which is a great big, uh, high tech hub. So the problem is unless you happen to hit the right company and they end up going public and you get to go with them, you're probably, you've always got your resume updated. So I think back and I think every single company I worked for got acquired by somebody. So you just go on to the next job. So the last job I had was with a marketing agency, and they specialize in the tech industry. And so what I do is I write about software and stuff like that. And then I got close to retirement and just said, you know what? What have you always wanted to do? You can do anything you want now. Retirement is saved. You know, everything. This is the end of your, end of your career. What do you want to do now? I'd always wanted to be into travel writing and photography. So now I work for my former company. I do freelance writing for them. The project I do for them takes me about a week every single month, and the rest of it is travel writing and photography. So it works out perfectly. Wow, and you've been traveling for a while, right? Um, this is something that got you going. Was it your first trip was Belgium? Oh, well, yeah, that was back when I was an exchange student. That was between um, uh, high school and college. I took a gap year uh, before it was fashionable to take a gap year. So that's uh, that was where I got to live in Europe. I lived with a family, got to go all over Europe and said, wow, this is really cool. This would be really interesting to do as a career. Unfortunately, as we all know, this is a field where you don't get to make a whole lot of money. And so if, uh, you had to do something where you're going to, I figured, do something where you're going to make money. And then someday you'll get to just uh, money won't matter and you can do whatever you want. So now I'm at that mm -hmm. point. You know, I think it's it's interesting because travel writing is so changed. It used to be you're not allowed to have personal opinions about place and what you like, what you don't like. And it was mo mostly like you were writing for a guide almost. And um, it's really, really changed a whole bunch. And um, but you get to explore and see all these amazing places. You know, it's like once you get hooked, you get hooked. And I don't think we could travel without it being something about sharing it with people. I, you know, just traveling for the pure joy of it doesn't kind of work for me personally. I don't know about you both, but um, that's kind of like I wanted to get on the top of the mountain and say, y'all, you need. I've been in Louisiana lately. If you can tell y'all, you, know, you need to get here now. You know what I mean? So it, um, it's I think mm -hmm. it's such a, um important role that uh, travel writers play. Gavin, how did you and Karen get started in travel writing? Because I know you're also writing about date nights and romantic escapes, which Actually, we don't see that much of anymore, to be quite honest. I don't think we've heard that much in the industry anymore about romance. And, you know, we hear about date nights, but who's writing about where to go and, you know, the romantic places, you know? Yeah, it's definitely a good niche and a niche that also, like, obviously allows us to have these date nights and do all these fun things together. 
Um, we actually got started kind of taking back to the wine topic. Um, and it was about 10 years ago and we happened to be in Sonoma and we had already done seven or eight wine tastings. Um, so we were feeling in fit. one day. I'm just making sure in one day. Okay. So we're not making coherent decisions. Um, and we were both working full time in the banking industry. Um, and we were like, wouldn't it be awesome if we could be food critics? Um, cause we were both great chefs as well. And then we were like, no one actually likes critics for the most part. Mm-hmm. What if we were actually just food and travel writers? Um, and we kind of lucked into it in a, in a way where back in Austin, um, we were kind of known as like the best cooks of our friends and back around six or seven years ago, a good portion of, of Karen's girlfriends happened to be anchors on different news stations. And they all knew of us as their best cooking friend. So they would all ask us out of nowhere. It just started happening to do TV segments all the time for cooking TV segments. And then one of the stations liked having us so much that they started filming an ongoing TV segment of filming couple in the kitchen in our kitchen. Um, And it kind of just, blew up and grew from there where we do a lot of, of cooking on ourselves and recipe creation and SEO around that, but then tie that with our love of travel and food and romantic travel. Um, and it's been a really good, awesome niche because no one can ever complain about doing fun date nights and eating amazing food. I mean, really? And then what about the, the, the Virgin voyages? I want to go on this idea because I think cruises have really changed up over the years, especially if it's couples, if you're retired, you it's, it's um, that can be very romantic, right? We're not getting um, the blue plate special. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And honestly, like we were very, very anti cruise people. um, And we're, we've started to be converted on the European side. So we did the earlier this past year, um, we did Virgin Voyages, um not one but we actually did back to back weeks on their um european cruise line that hit between france spain a touch of italy um and just circled the coast in different ways between the voyages um and what actually got us hooked for that one and why we're completely sold on cruises like this now for both, both the romance and major the food side is because one there's no children allowed on it which was a big thing for us because we'd been on cruises like 10 plus years ago and it's just kids screaming everywhere. And that was very much not what we're about or what we write about. I can tell by your tone of voice just changed right there. Focus on. <laughs> so that was of the first major kicker that kind of got us in the door. And then um, they very, very much post online about their focus on their food program. So like mm. at Virgin Voyages, they have no, um, main commissary kitchen where like you're just scooping everything, everything essentially made fresh to order for you. Um, wow. what's really incredible about the Virgin Cruise Line is every cruise line we had done in the past, like the specialty restaurants were always like an added fee. And the specialty restaurants on Virgin Cruise Line were all included with oh, the cost. Cool. So like you could go out for there's fancy steakhouse twice if you wanted it. They had a gastronomy restaurant. Um, that changed midweek where one focus was like on mushrooms and beef. And then later in the week, it was 
corn and seafood that was all done like you're in a high-end michelin star restaurant um to like a korean barbecue grill specialty restaurant um so we were sold on both the facts of no children amazing destinations throughout europe and then actually their food program was legit and incredible um and they actually a couple months a year when we happened to be on the vo- voyages when it was happening they have their own kind of cruise food festival where they partner with some of the top chefs in like the destinations that you're hitting and they'll have like one single dish item where you can get from this chef at say the sushi bar or one dish you can get from like this gastronomy pastry chef from France at the pastry uh, like pastry station. Um, So it's really cool element of both food and romance because you don't have children running around everywhere. And then even the views, right? That's got to be romantic. Yeah. I mean, the views are incredible when you're cruising the Mediterranean, like you're only pulling in port for amazing cities or pulling up to islands and yeah, no complaints and 100% would recommend it to anyone. Oh, wow. So that brings me to you, Marnie. Northern Greece, I know you're going to be starting to do all your articles, but we have, and everyone, um, just so you know, go to the show notes and you'll see all the links to articles from Gavin and Karen and from Marnie. Uh, Marnie's mostly on uh, New Brunswick and um, hopefully we'll catch up with you next year too, Marnie, about um, as all your articles come out for Northern Greece. But um, was Northern Greece romantic? It's got to be um yeah well northern greece was just amazing when most people go to greece they think of you know like oh they'll go to athens and probably hit a few of the islands that everybody knows about like mykonos or santorini or something like that those are nice but i mean northern greece is this entire area that is completely untouched thessaloniki is greece's second largest city they're trying to build a metro there which they desperately need the traffic in that place is absolutely horrendous um, but they can't build it because they started to, and they got to, uh, they excavated and found Byzantine ruins. Wow. So now they're having to restore these ruins and they're going to be part of the metro system. So it's going to be a metro system that's part museum. Wow. So you're going to get to go on the metro and see all these beautiful exhibits and so forth. That's wow. how they're solving the problem. Wow. And, um, you can go to this place. It's called the White Tower. It's, uh, just a cylindrical tower that's right on the Aegean Sea. But you walk up, it's like the G, uh, the Guggenheim Museum, where you walk up in a big spiral, and you see the layers. Um, what happened during each, um, uh, during each, you know, period? And so, what happens is they show how many of each um, a group of people live there at any given time. And there was something that happened there that was the same. Um, it was government mandated. It was the same time, uh, same thing that happened in India where India and Pakistan, where they said, okay, Muslims, everybody's going this way. Pakistan, Hindus, everybody goes this way. You're in India. Uh, This happened, the same thing with, uh, the same thing happened there with Christianity and uh, Muslim. All the Muslims had to go to Turkey and all the uh, Christians or Orthodox Mm -hmm. came over to Greece. And this was, you had to go. So you meet a lot of people in Greece who came from Turkey and that's why. And so you'll see, like, in one period, you'll see, like, the number of Muslims went from here and went all the way down. And then, of course, after World War II, uh, Thessaloniki had this huge Jewish population. But, of course, um, when the Nazis occupied Greece, so you've got, um, um, prior to World War II, you've got this many Jews. And then after that, right down, the, the whole Jewish community was wiped out. Wow. And so one of the heartbreaking things you see in that city is um, they took the cemetery and they took the headstone 
I mean, can you imagine even the Nazis couldn't stoop this low, but they did. They took headstones from uh, the Jewish cemetery and used it to repair roads. Oh, my God. And build buildings. And uh, just you can go around and you'll see Hebrew writing around town if you know where to look. Well, you just took the romance right out of that. I mean, <laughs> yeah. You well, know, but, okay. but this is important. Was no, this northwest important. or northeast Greece? Because we're actually going uh, to kind of the northwest Greece in August. It's kind of north-northeast. Okay. You're, if you look at a map of Greece, you'll see Thessaloniki right there on the Aegean Sea. And then you go east and you'll see these three fingers sort of uh, off to the right side. That's called the Halkidiki Peninsula. That's the other place that I was covering. And Got so it. you'll find a lot of history there, like monastery. There's this cruise you can take. And you go past monasteries that date back hundreds of years. Wow. And they go through and tell you the history of each one. And then from there, I went back the other direction. You bypass Thessaloniki and go to, uh, there are two places, Vergina and Veria. Vergina, you can see the tomb of um, Philip of Macedonia. And if you remember back to your history, he's the father of Alexander the Great. So you see where um, his tomb is. The thing is just wow. absolutely massive. And then from there, a short drive to Varia, where you can see where, um, if you remember, if you're Christian and went to Sunday school, you remember back hearing about how Paul the Apostle walked around uh, various places in uh, the Mediterranean region and preached the gospel of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> we went to a place where Paul the Apostle actually taught. And so it's kind of, you're going, wow, thousands of years ago. That's thousands ancient, of people man. sitting. It is. It really is. And everywhere you wow. look, they're just... You walk around the corner, it's like, oh, more ruins. I wonder what these are for. <laughs> so, so I mean, for history buffs, this is like a destination. <laughs> are those monasteries still active or are they like the oh, ruins yeah. of them? Oh, wow. Yeah, they're still there. And I mean, it's funny because you're taking this cruise and you can't get there any other way except for um, a boat. And um, they're going past there and they go, they go through the description in seven different languages. So by the time they get finished going through all seven languages, You've gone from one to the next one. They have to start all over again for the next monastery. But I mean, these date back to, uh, you know, just like 500, a you know, AD, 700 AD. They're hundreds of years old. What's the food like there with all these, this blend of cultures? I mean, historically, I know, you know, <clears throat> um, sadly the Jews being, you know, wiped out, right? But at the same time, there's got to be some remnants of their culture there for, something right where i mean even at least in the food or no hmm. you know not really because everybody sort of assimilated into um the the greek culture for example everywhere you walk yeah, everybody's heard of um like spanakopita and mm -hmm. baklava so anything with that thin those thin phyllo leaves those pies are like cheese pie spinach Ooh. pie spinach cheese Ooh. pie Ooh. everywhere Ooh. you walk them down the street now Every single place you can stop. I know, no. exactly. But I'm ready for some wine with this, lunch. too. <laughs> they have that, too. I got to visit several wineries while I was there. In fact, one place, um, they tentatively accepted a story for that, but they just can't officially accept any stories until um, January. And so they've got uh, got to visit a couple wineries north of Varia, and uh, they've got, um, let's see, I'm trying to remember, Syrah. Uh, Gavin, you may be able to help me here because I'm not an expert on grapes. Syrah grapes. I'm not it's mostly red wine. wines, other than drinking <clears throat> some. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what's weird? Growing up in South Africa, Greek wine was part of like the table wines you would have. And South Africa has, as far as I'm concerned, some of the best wine in the planet. Definitely. And um, I was very lucky growing up there, and it was part of the table 
even when you are 14, 15 years old, you drink wine with family. And um, <laughs> my love of wine has never gotten smaller. <laughs> it's just grown <laughs> over the years. But um, Greek food was a big deal in South Africa. We oh, had a lot of yeah. Greek um, culture, you know, there. Um, but the Greek wine was always on the table, which was very interesting to me. Would come in these, um, we had Portuguese as well, but would come in these round bottles with like little baskets around them. I don't know what that, Cantori, the wine um, de pasta at the time. That's I don't, I remember my I head. don't remember the baskets, but one thing I do want to mention about the Greek wine, you may remember this. And Gavin, this is something like when you go over there, try this, but do it on a full stomach. <laughs> they take the wine, The one of the wineries, wineries we went to, the guy demonstrated this. They take the residue that's left and they make this stuff called, uh, I think it's Zipperu. Um, it's really, really strong. I mean, they use it as like an aperitif. And it is strong. Like, uh, it's a good thing they gave us some crackers and cheese because I took a few sips of this and said, that's it. Stop. You don't want to have any more of this stuff. It's Probably like, like Grappa, 40 or 50 proof. They do in Italy. Yeah. <laughs> but this is what, uh, that and coffee are kind of like, if you meet somebody, coffee is, uh, it's like, let's have a coffee or let's have an, uh, let's have a, um, uh, zippero, uh, zippero, uh, along with, um, a, a snack. It, so those are the two things you'll find, like the mainstay of um, uh, at least the drinking diet over there. I remember that episode with Anthony Bourdain, I mean, years and years and years ago. I, I don't even know if it was when he was on CNN or not, and or the Food Network. And I think it was the end of his Food Network. This was the episode that kind of caved it in. And um, he, I think he was in Greece and he was drinking exactly what you said and he fell down and he started to really not care what he said. And he fell off his chair. They were drinking in out in the in the farmland or somewhere and fell down and he didn't care. And next thing you know, he had to move networks. <laughs> he probably drank Zipper. That stuff's strong. That's what I'm thinking, because I remember <laughs> it with being something and he had no care in the world. And, and that was that. And maybe he knew he was leaving and said, that's it. I'm, I'm going to have a good finale of this episode, you know, but, uh, that, this is awesome that, you know, that you're going to go to Northern Greece, Gavin. So this is, when are you going? We are going in August of next year. Nice. Nice. Is this going to be part it's, of a cruise or? Yeah, we're over? doing another cruise. We're thinking, we're looking at a couple, but we're doing another cruise. Um, the one we're leaning towards is it's Venice to Croatia to Greece. Ooh, we did that one. You're going to love it. Nice. Ooh, Croatia is a big deal now too. Seems like more and more people are going. Mm -hmm. I remember long ago, I had a business associate from Croatia. I said, if you guys can stop shooting each other, you're going to overtake everybody in Europe for tourism. The place is drop dead gorgeous. I love this. I love this. Let's go back to North America now for a second. Uh, Frisco, Texas, where I know I've driven through this. Uh, one of the links to your stories is for Frisco, Texas. Tell us where that is, because Fredericksburg people kind of know that name for wine. Yeah. Um, is is Frisco near it? So Frisco is a it's a kind of like Dallas plus. <laughs> um, oh, okay. So so Frisco is actually it's crazy because we get requests all the time for like we're going to Dallas where should we stay, and we had been through Frisco but we had never stayed there until recently. And we're actually going to a travel conference there next year. Um, but Frisco is kind of like a tiny little secret that no one knows about unless you live in Frisco already. That's 
within 10, 15 minute driving distance to essentially downtown Dallas, but it's where like the Cowboys headquarters is the Dallas Cowboy headquarters is that's where their giant practice stadium is. And it's just a booming little sub area of Dallas that is packed with like entertainment and like great (laughs) food districts all within a small area. That's all affordable. And you're kind of like in this really cool hub of entertainment and the backdrop of if you're in Dallas and like you have any like love of sports at all, being around the Cowboys is just cool. Where like we walked downstairs from our hotel and I literally saw Dallas Cowboys players just walking around. Um, so it's, it's essentially the same cost or cheaper than staying in Dallas. Um, and there's just really, really great food in such a small area where like if you're in Dallas proper, driving from one part of the city to still Dallas takes forever. Um, where like, this is the small little hub that no one knows about. So whenever we have friends, family, or readers ask us saying, we're going to the Dallas area, where should we stay? We always have been saying Frisco lately. And to top it all off, if you're a sports fan or you just want to have like a fun day and it's during baseball season, they have far and away the coolest minor league stadium possible because they have an entire, almost the entire outfield is a complete lazy river that you could bring your swimsuit. And then they serve, we went, we happened to be there one day and it was dollar drinks day. Um, and cool. it's already cheap to go to um, any minor league game, but just to be in a lazy river, we're watching a baseball game what? and obviously in Texas. So it's hot was just super fun. Oh my gosh. This sounds fun. Cause I, whatever I can do to, I, I love, downtown historic downtown dallas i had a really good night there one night and i mean and day and night years and years ago and yeah. i thought well, we love dallas too it's just for but a small the, area it's just such a you, hidden gym and there yeah because there's so much construction going on there. i've just i've gone through <clears> dallas <throat> so many times this year and i've decided i'll do anything to avoid 20 <laughs> I'll do anything but there's so these little towns of texas yeah, really um, are incredible. And we've just done a whole trip going through like Marshall, Texas. And, you know, you go through these places and I encourage people to stop there. Read the historic markers. I yeah. pulled over for one. It was the birthplace of Lady Bird Johnson. Who knew outside of National uh, Caddo State <clears throat> Late, uh, Caddo National Wildlife Refuge outside Marshall? I'm like, no way. I had wow. no idea that's where she was. And I'm like, Okay, well, and listen, if you want to pull over for every historical marker in Texas, you'll never, ever stop. stop. (laughs) It's insane. But the small towns, there's, I love seeing the integrity of them, of keeping their buildings as best they can. And you see revitalization um, happening with murals. And some towns even have brick streets. Go to Happy, there is a Happy Texas. It's like, (laughs) seriously, there is Happy Texas. And they have little brick streets. And so... I don't know. The small towns of Texas are like little gems that I don't think people really realize as much. And yet you can have all the you have all this cosmopolitan side, too, in this state. But those small towns, I don't know, man, I've I've fallen in love with them. And and one other actually fun fact for I am not a golfer at all, um, but the PGA actually just moved their headquarters, their entire like global headquarters to Frisco, Texas. And they're centered around like these newly developed, like beautiful golf courses. 
that when I told a couple of my buddies that are big golfers that I was going to Frisco, they're like, please take us with us. Can we go again with you again? And you could just watch us golf. And I'm so oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. So if you're into golfing, like that is the place maybe in all of the US to go to right now. Hey, but listen, that's where golfing is about legally drinking and driving in the little golf cart. You said it. <laughs> that's all I know. Then you're supposed to shut up when someone's about to whack the ball thing. Yeah, you know? I, I do know that rule too. Yeah, but I, that's when you just start drinking and then yeah. you can keep quiet. You see, exactly. that's, that's how it works. And if you like bird watching, Texas golf courses are good for it, you know. So oh, now oh, that's awesome. So Frisco is like the sports hub. It's like. becoming it. It's, it seems like it's the hub, at least in mm-hmm. Texas, for a small little town where you can pack so much sports in. Mm-hmm. Now, Marnie, when you were in New Brunswick, um, you mentioned kayaking. So it seems like this is kind of when you talk about the outdoors, there's outdoor recreation, nature, bird watching, that kind of thing for people. Oh, sure. Bird watching. They got beautiful hiking trails, biking trails. Um, we we had an itinerary we, we were following that was set up by uh, Tourism New Brunswick. And um, uh, so we didn't do a whole lot of that. But the Bay of Fundy is you could st- spend like a week down there and still not hit all the hiking trails. And then, of course, along the beach, too. Awesome. Awesome. Now, what about uh, Myrtle Beach? Uh, Gavin, I know you and Karen went out to Myrtle Beach and obviously good food um, in Myrtle Beach. But I I have friends who go there all the time and they're like, their first thing they do is they cycle up and down the beach. (laughs) That's a big deal. So and you've obviously spent a lot of time in Texas. So like us living in Texas, there are beach towns, but it's fully on the Gulf. And the water's pretty gross. And we we go when we like really need some beach time, but we don't necessarily love it. Um, and I actually I've I've lived in Texas for a long, long time now. Um, but I'm from California. Um okay. so I need like a proper beach vacation at least mm-hmm. like once a year. And but going back to California, staying on the water, staying on the beach is so expensive. Um but and I, we had never been to Myrtle Beach until this year. And I cannot stress enough, the second we left, we started looking at real estate in Myrtle Beach. And it is because it's just flights there are cheap. And it's so affordable, whether you just want to get a hotel room or even want to buy a studio or two bedroom condo overlooking the water. Um, once you get there, it's beautiful. Obviously, Atlantic water. Um, it was perfect weather when we went there because we went there kind of like at the end of the busy season. Um, so we didn't necessarily see any crazy tourist rush. They were still busy on the beaches, but it was not crazy. Um, and then for us on the food side, just like such a crazy abundance of delicious seafood. Um, and the one specifically, the one food we had never had before is what they specialize in is something called she crab soup, which is kind of like a lobster bisque. Um, meets like a touch of some spices and then you sub the obviously lobster for delicious crab. Mm. And so, so I had a lot lobster. of sea crab soup, a lot of seafood boils and so much fish and seafood overall. That was for you and Marnie at, at um, New Brunswick, right? Lobster caviar. Yeah. Up there. See, I live in the desert, contrary to the background of my, uh, in my, um, my, what you see up there and that's a beach with a palm tree we've got the palm trees but we don't have the water because i live in phoenix 
But so whenever we both love seafood, so whenever we get near water, we go absolutely crazy. Up there, it's kind of like that Forrest Gump scene where he's saying shrimp this, shrimp that. So up there, seafood this, seafood that, shrimp this, lobster that. They have a place up there called Shediac. They claim to be, their claim to fame is being the lobster capital of the world. There are a few other, few places that will dispute them on that, but that's wow. their story and they're sticking to it. There's a giant lobster there um, that everybody wants to get their picture taken with. There's a museum that they go, you can go through. They kind of partner with all the lobster fishermen in New Brunswick to do sustain, sustainable lobster fishing and adopt the lobster once they're put out to sea and stuff like that. So you learn a whole lot about lobster there and get to touch one. And then we went and took a lobster cruise where there's a guy there. His name is Captain Ron. And he goes, he does this uh, simultaneously in English and French, which is pretty impressive because half the boat was people from Quebec and the other half was uh, people from, say, like, you know, uh, the United States or English speaking Canada. And everybody could understand what he said. And so uh, he shows we got to haul the lobster in and uh, look at what it looks like when you're pulling in the lobster traps. And then he showed like once it's uh, once it's uh, it's cooked, how you break one down, because usually you're used to going to the, a restaurant and they give you um, like a lobster tail and that's all you get. This is an entire lobster. So he was showing how to break it down, how to uh, crack open the claws, how to get the meat out and so forth. And then, of course, the best part, we got to eat one. And so they brought out you know, full, a whole lobster along with, with your dinner. And then the other thing that you were talking about, the caviar, what most people don't know is New Brunswick is um, uh, a prime place to get caviar. Um, the St. John River is full of sturgeon, which, of course, is their eggs uh, uh, row is a source for caviar. And we got to visit uh, this guy, and he gave us uh, uh, kind of like a taste no pun intended, of the caviar experience. He has people who love caviar who come there and they go through this entire experience where they get to taste all this different caviar. They might go out and get to um, catch the sturgeon and all kinds of stuff. One interesting thing about the, uh, we went to the uh, aquaculture center that he has. Um, They have uh, sturgeon of various stages of growth. The large ones, um, the females, when their eggs are ready, um, they slice open their stomach. This sounds really gross, but it's really okay. They slice open their stomach, take a scoop out the row, and then they stitch them back up again and bandage them, and they're perfectly fine. And then they, we got to see them remove the stitches. So these fish, they, uh, they don't kill them or anything like that. So, uh, everything they make, they use the entire fish. They don't just use the row and get rid of the fish or anything like that. So everything they make is exported throughout Canada, uh, the United States and other places. And uh, so it was really interesting just to get to see how this is made and get to taste it and just meet this guy who has made really caviar his entire life. Hmm. Gavin, is that sounding like a place for you and Karen? I was just thinking how this is making me, again, very hungry. Okay, so what <laughs> would champagne be the, the pairing with the caviar? What would I mean, you that's say? definitely a traditional classic, yeah. You'll, you'll never complain when you have champagne caviar and lobster yeah actually he used champagne uh we had champagne to clear our palates before he uh had us taste the caviar he did something kind of interesting i've never seen this before but i had to do some research on it to learn about it for an article he took a saber and opened the champagne oh yeah it's called uh sabrage or sabrage uh it happened uh started during the french revolution 
um, to celebrate a battle, they would take a saber and just whack the top off the champagne bottle. I'm not doing that because I know something bad is going to go wrong. <laughs> it's actually really easy. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's pretty simple. It's a dull knife, dull saber knife. And Karen actually took, we were in Champagne, France region and took a sabering class. No and way. It's essentially cool. just pure force and the bubbles with a dull knife will force it all out instantly. And it's just yeah. a solid, clean movement. And you, are you whacking off work. the cork itself or actually cutting the bottle? You you don't cut anything. It's pure force that, and it, it usually gets the cork plus a little bit of the glass, but it, because of the force coming out of the bottle, it's such a clean blow that there's no glass shards or anything around the wine anymore. Wow. Wow. How cool is that? I mean, I've had my problems with opening wine sometimes where it re- requires like, here it is. Get the coffee filters out. Get the screwdriver. Definitely don't do it for red wine. Only for sparkling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've had some wine emergencies of like, what are you going to do? You know, but um, listen, coffee filters do the rescue. They work well. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> do. Well, where are you both going? Let's, let's talk about one destination for 2024. Gavin, you've mentioned some. Where's another destination on your radar for next year? Yeah, right now. I mean, we're, I'm going to be in New York for a travel conference in January, so that's going to be bitter cold. But there's always good eats in New York. Um, and then really we're just trying to look at a lot of Europe right now we're thinking about. Um, and then the destination I've just started to dive into both for wine and for kind of living like a king when you get there is Argentina and Chile Ooh. Um, because the economies there are at a point where the U S dollar is so strong uh, mm-hmm. that that has a lot of interest in it for me right now. But other than mm-hmm. that, definitely, definitely go. I'm very excited for Venice, which we've never done Greece, the Northern parts of Greece, which we've never, never done that region. And then Croatia, which has been on our list for years now. Awesome. What about you, Marnie? Where's next? Wow. You know, I don't have anything planned for 2024 yet. I'm going to probably the same uh, conference that Gavin is referring to. Oh, cool. In fact, that's where we all go there. We get to meet uh, PR reps and we get a lot of our travel uh, plans mm-hmm. set because um, they ch- uh, choose us to come to their destination and write about it, write stories. My uh, focus uh, has been getting the stories done for New Brunswick. And now getting on to the ones about Greece. Um, awesome. I've been chatting with one guy on Facebook um, about uh, he's in Kenya. And I'm hoping I can wangle something um, where they will um, ha- set me up with some places where I can go to Kenya and um, write about some of the destinations and maybe get a free safari out of it and write about my experiences. Um, I don't know whether I can pull that one off or not. Kenya is amazing. I- That's where I was raised as a young child was Kenya and it is absolutely I mean it's like the Garden of Eden I'm just gonna say it I mean it is oh I'd love to go Kenya is the wildlife um the people um the food is good because you're talking about just such clean soils um just from when I was there is the food is I mean I was born here in the state southern California had every allergy and known to man and you know because we're talking about smog and all of that back in the I don't want to date myself, but yeah, back in the mid seventies and we went to Kenya within two weeks, my allergies went away and I could eat anything. I I was fine. And I think it's also to do with spices. 
how they used spices and different things. Um, it was just, it is such a beautiful country and I really hope you get to go and, and experience it. And if you get a I chance, to. go to Mombasa too, because I know you love the beach. Like it looks like that. What's behind you. The water is like in the 70, 80 degrees. You can go on glass bottom boats and look at fish underneath. I mean, it is amazing. So, and go to the Two Fishes Resort. I don't know if that's still there, but I'm just saying. Wow. Okay. Go check it Another out. Another one. You were, you were saying something about South Africa. That's also on my bucket list. Oh, yeah. Another place I would love to go is Antarctica. I had a, I have a friend who got to go there. They flew into Chile, uh, Chile and then took a, um, a ship. Uh, it was a cruise down to Antarctica. And that sounds like it would be really interesting. Um, also on the list is Japan, because we had a, a cruise plan there. And that, of course, was COVID year, so nobody could go anywhere. And it morphed into, um, uh, they didn't have the, the Japan uh, trip anymore. So uh, with this cruise line, it morphed into a cruise um, around Australia and New Zealand. That was last year, which was really fantastic. Uh, and we loved it. And so um, just looking into various other destinations. Well, that's awesome. And I know Iftua has done so good. I mean, I don't know how long each of you have been members. Gavin, how long have you been members? Do you think? I'm a brand new member, only a couple months. Okay. But I've tr- I kind of always, when I dive into a community, I try to dive in strong and fast. And mm-hmm. people have been super awesome. friendly and nice. And, like, I love seeing places people have gone and who people have worked with. Um, and it's just really good engagement between the, the members. That's awesome. That's awesome. I know they do a lot of media trip information, networking and conference and, um, the conference apparently was awesome with this discovery princess cruise with this 360 degree, 360, um, dining experience. I know we joined um, right after it. I was very, very sad to miss that one. Well, you're just going to have to go on a cruise. Yeah. <laughs> Just gonna have to go to, to the yeah. next conference. Yeah, yeah. I missed it. I missed it too because my trip, uh, my Greece trip. The only place I could sandwich it in was um, leaving October 11th. So I oh. had to something had to give, and that was it. But I went oh. to the one before that in Tampa, and I got oh, to meet awesome. everybody. Oh wow, wonderful! I know. I'm looking forward to hearing more about their cruise. Uh, not their cruiser conference in the Finger Lakes region and uh, upstate New York coming up and. 2024 it sounds like it's going to be awesome with awesome wine and um mm-hmm. and and i just know that whole area has good food too i'm just saying and it's beautiful. my old stomping grounds i went to syracuse <laughs> oh okay well there you go there you go well thank you both for joining us it's been a true pleasure and everyone again the links to the articles are going to be in the show notes so check it out if you're watching this on youtube or facebook or listening on acast spotify uh wherever you listen to podcasts you can hear this um, and also it'll be featured up on our site, blendradioandtv.com, where you can see everyone's photos. And of course, thank you so much to the International Food, Wine, Travel Writers Association. Uh, if you're in the industry, whether you're a writer, photographer, even author or destination, check out ifwtwa.org and keep up with us at bigblendradio.com. Thank you so much. You guys, happy, happy travels. Thank you and happy travels. Thank travel. you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Big Blend Radio's Food, Wine, and Travel Show featuring members of the International Food, Wine, Travel Writers Association. We encourage you to visit their website. We say IFTWA, which is I-F-W-T-W-A dot org. You can also follow us at BigBlendRadio.com. Happy travels, everyone.